Hello, everyone. I'm Bill Raggio. I'm a senior fellow at Foundation for Defense of Democracies and editor of FDD's Law War Journal. And this is Generation Jihad, the podcast that documents and discusses what used to be known as the global war on terror or what we call the long war. It's a vast battlefield that spans continents. Today's episode, I have my friend and colleague, Joe Trusman. Joe is a research analyst at Foundation for Defense of Democracies, as well as a contributor to FDD's Long War Journal, where he focuses on Israel, Palestinian terrorist groups, Hezbollah, and uh, the Houthis, a whole range of, of topics. Joe, welcome to Generation Jihad. Thank you for having me, Bill. It's uh, quite a pleasure to be here. Well, it's long overdue. So, uh, <laughs> the Afghanistan and other issues really uh, sucked up a lot of our time and energy, and we've been wanting to get you on for quite some time. But I think the the recent uh, situation in Israel with a with a slate of attacks uh, and your your excellent coverage of that is uh, certainly was a great opportunity for us to to get you on the program. Great, I, I appreciate. It. Thank you. No, you're welcome. Uh, Joe, so um, there's been high-profile attacks in Israel since March 22nd. Tell us a little bit about each attack and explain who was involved and what Israel's reaction has been. Right. So uh, first, a preface is that just, uh, Israel has this new terror isn't new to Israel, unfortunately. Uh, these terror attacks, I wouldn't say they're routine, but unfortunately, it happens. It's part of the fabric of the Israeli society for decades, right? Exactly, exactly. And these usually these uh, type of terror attacks uh, we see is they, they happen a lot in hot spots, uh, like the West Bank, Israeli settlements in the West Bank, sometimes in Jerusalem's old city as well. However, these attacks are are different uh, just because they they occur deep inside Israel. And uh, just for for instance, the first one that happened uh, March twenty second in Beersheba, which is a city in southern Israel committed by actually an Israeli citizen, Israeli Bedouin, Mohammed Abu Al-Karim. His method of attack he used his vehicle and a knife. He ran over a cyclist. Then he drove to a gas station and stabbed someone there, then moved on to a mall where he attacked other civilians. Eventually, he was killed by, by an armed civilian. I believe it was a bus driver. A little bit about the attacker. The Israeli media reported he had a, some links to ISIS. He was imprisoned in 2016, for membership in a terror organization, uh, he was charged with disseminating uh, extremist teachings, and uh, he also was charged with uh, attempting to join ISIS in Syria. However, even though he had uh, you know, links to ISIS, um, the Israeli security authorities or the Israeli authorities believed he was uh, he acted alone, uh, so they claimed him as a they said he was a lone wolf. So, and I looked in a little bit into him as well, and. Couldn't see anything, uh, any direction or any, you know, that he wasn't directed by ISIS, doesn't seem. And, and uh, even though then there wasn't uh, really a, a straight claim from ISIS that uh, he was one of their members, uh, they did mention him later on in one of their newsletters and one of their, one of their statements, but they weren't clear. They never said he was, you know, he was a member of, of ISIS. So that was the March 22nd attack. And uh, before we go forward there, Joe, like uh, the Islamic State, you know, would claim credit for if he was one of them, if they had recruited him and had him in the fold, we would know about that. These in the past, the Islamic State has issued videos or 
or um, share, you know, shared other type of uh, information on connections. So this is more of what we would just what I don't like the term, but it's commonly referred to as an inspired attack. And it's not something that's just uh, the Al Qaeda actually pioneered this and their magazine, the which was used to be run by Anwar Awaki, a radical cleric. He, um, the, the Al Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula had a magazine called Inspire that would say, that would encourage Muslims to carry out attacks like this if they weren't able to reach the battlefield or get support. So this is, I think this very likely, as you noted, is, is it a, a inspired uh, type of attack? And I, I'm going to share one other quick thing here. Uh, sorry to, to jump in. I, I, several years ago I was in Israel and, um, I had an opportunity to do training. Um, well, you know, do a simulation for Israeli security forces and how they would react to terror attacks like you described, a stabbing attack, a, um, a ramming attack or a vehicle attack, things of that nature. But the troops that were in, were trained for this were really troops that were either in Palestinian territories or checkpoints, things of that nature on the edge. And I think what makes this attack so significant, as you noted, it's inside Israel. It was so this is this was a vulnerability that very likely exists. Um, Israeli troops, I think, were very well are very well trained to handle those types of situations on the peripheries. But I'm wondering how prepared they are for this to happen inside their own cities. Right. And I think that's what has got Israeli public a little bit nervous, I guess you could say. I mean, this was just a, the first high profile attack. Nobody knew what, what was coming after. And uh, that leads me to the second attack, which was uh, on March 27th in uh, a town called Hadera, north of Tel Aviv. So two Israeli citizens, actually this time there was two of them. They were Arabs, uh, Arab Israelis. They were cousins, Ayman and Khaled uh, Iqbaria. They were from a town called uh, Umal Faham. And they launched a shooting attack and they killed two police officers. The difference here is that compared to the first attack on March 22nd was that uh, they actually uploaded a video to Facebook on one of the shooter's accounts and uh, they pledged allegiance to the Islamic State and its caliph that was published right right before the attack. And then uh, after the attack, some hours later, ISIS claimed they published a statement uh, claiming responsibility for the attack, the Amak news agency. A little bit about the attackers, you know, the Israeli report said that at least one of them tried to join ISIS in 2016, uh, but he ended up getting arrested by uh, Turkish police. Um, I'm, uh, I'm assuming there was a little bit of uh, intelligence given to the Turkish police by uh, the Israelis. In this one, I don't believe these attackers, at least I haven't seen evidence that these attackers were directed by ISIS. They were almost inspired, even though they did pledge uh, allegiance to the Islamic State before the attack. But I still don't see, didn't see any evidence that ISIS directed them. But of course, you know, ISIS being ISIS, they uh, claimed responsibility because it was attacking in, in Israel. And in the statement that ISIS uh, published, they mentioned the first attacker on the 22nd. But like I said, they never claimed him, said he was a member. So that was the second attack on March 27th. So in the second attack, is there any indication where the two attackers were able to obtain their weapons? Uh, no, I, I haven't seen. I haven't. Uh, I haven't seen anything where where they uh, they were able to to get uh, their weapons. Unfortunately, there's a, a lot of uh, 
weapons trafficking in Israel. That's something they've been dealing with uh, for a lot uh, for a long time. Um, I've seen a lot of reports where actually IDF bases get raided. Um, and a lot of ammunition is stolen, weapons are stolen, um, even night vision goggles are stolen. And uh, it's, it's been a problem uh, for several years now. Uh, and uh, I haven't seen anything lately, so they may have it under control. But uh, there's definitely a, a, a problem with, with the weapons trafficking. And not only just inside Israel, um, and we can get to this a little bit later, but also uh, Hezbollah and uh, the Iranians uh, are trying to uh, have tried to um, smuggle weapons into Israel uh, to arm uh, Palestinian factions. On the 29th, just a couple of days later in B'nai Barak, a high-profile attack was right outside of Tel Aviv. This one actually was perpetrated by a Palestinian, Dia Hamarsha. And he was able to exploit a, as you could say, a hole through the security barrier in the West Bank. Uh, I believe he stole a car and he was armed with a semi-automatic rifle. He went to Hadera and was able to start shooting civilians. He ended up killing five people, four of them uh, civilians. Two were actually four nationals. I believe they were Ukrainian, and one uh, was a uh, police officer. He ended up being killed by Israeli security forces. Unfortunately, he was able to to kill five people. Again, with this one, there was no information about the Islamic State or if they had been directed by the Islamic State. Actually, there wasn't any information about uh, if it was directed by any uh, militant organization. Israeli reports stated that he was uh, arrested several years ago for uh, trying to buy uh, explosives uh, but um, and uh, try to join a terrorist organization. But again, like the others, he was released and, um, and unfortunately was able to commit this attack uh, several years later. The fourth attack occurred last night in Tel Aviv uh, at a busy street called Dizengoff Street. It's a very popular area, very popular street, a lot of shops. The attacker now identified as Ra'ad Hazem from the West Bank town of Janin. Last night's attack has left three civilians dead and uh, almost approximately 10 others injured. Um, After the the attack, he was able to, he was actually able to escape. Unlike the other attacks, he was on the run for approximately nine hours. He was eventually found in Yaffa at a mosque, uh, where he was shot and killed by counterterrorism forces. Al-Aqsa Martyrs Brigade published a message, or rather a video this morning. It's self-described military spokesperson Abu Muhammad just stated the operation was the beginning of a campaign called Eye of the Hurricane. And in its in his video or in his address, he claimed that last night's uh, shooter was one of their militants. And really quick, Al-Aqsa Martyr Brigades, who is that associated with? Fatah. Uh, yeah, they couldn't be with Fatah, yeah. Um, and yeah, there's, there's quite a few um, Palestinian militant organizations. At least in the West Bank, it's um, it's a little easier uh, as far as the, the numbers, uh, as far as the which groups are. Are prevalent there. It's you know, uh, Laksa Mars Brigades, Palestinian Islamic Jihad, and of course Hamas. Uh, those are the three main groups in, in the West Bank. I also strongly caution that militant groups, at least with Palestinian militant groups, there uh, they tend to claim attacks uh, even though they had nothing to do with it. So it's uh, I, I 
strongly caution it uh, with this claim, just due to the fact that they haven't, at least in the video that was published by Alexa Martyrs Brigades, they have not shown every, any evidence that he was a militant of theirs. This is just a statement or a claim. So I strongly caution that uh, just because they're saying he uh, he was a part of their their group or their their organization doesn't mean that he is. Uh, they may just trying to be boosting their image, uh, like in previous uh, attacks. Obviously, quite a bit of insta- instability caused by these attacks throughout Israel. What has the Israeli security services response been to these this re- recent spate of terrorism in you know like you said in the heartland of Israel? Right. Uh, so they've definitely stepped up raids, uh, especially in the towns where uh, the perpetrators, these these attackers, were were, were from. Um, of course, you know they they they've arrested associates and people who they believe were in, involved in the attacks. Um, of course, what they're trying to do here is um, stop another attack from, from happening. Uh, unfortunately, what we see here a lot, um, at least in the past, is that uh, if one, if, if there's a successful attack, um, it can spawn copycat attacks. And, uh, and I think that's what's, what's happening here. Uh, the first attack was successful in Beersheba, the 20, March 22nd attack. And so um, to respond copycat attacks, and uh, and that's I think what what the, uh, the Israelis are dealing with right now. Um, something I think is also uh, important uh, that I uh, I should mention is that we've uh, I've, I've uh, tracked a FDD's uh, Long War Journal since last year. The uptick in militant activity in the West Bank. Uh, there have been a considerable amount of. Uh, Israeli raids, uh, Israeli security forces uh, raiding um, or operations rather against uh, militant groups in the West Bank. Uh, actually, quite a quite a number of militants have been killed uh, in the West Bank since uh, beginning of last year uh, due to Israeli operations, uh, much more than previous years. And I feel that uh, rather that I've observed, what I've observed is that uh, these these militant organizations, specifically Palestinian Islamic Jihad. And Al-Aqsa Martyrs Brigades uh, uh, have um, almost like reorganized and uh, to counter these Israeli raids. Uh, and uh, what I've talked about, uh, what I published previously on FD's Long War Journal, are as a, um, I think I believe it was last month or a couple of months ago, was a, an establishment of a new like, joint operations room uh, and uh, where these uh, two militant groups have organized and are, I guess you could say, uh, responding to uh, Israel, the Israeli, uh, specifically IDF presence in the West Bank, conducting shooting attacks. And, uh, and if there are any uh, attempts by the Israeli security services or the IDF to uh, arrest uh, militants in the West Bank, which is a common occurrence, uh, we see a lot of uh, shootings occur uh, or uh, fighting back against uh, during the raid. Uh, so we've seen a lot, a lot of that. Uh, and it's been thoroughly documented uh, in my previous reports on uh, FDD's Long War Journal. Um, something else I'd also like to note, and I think is important, I've talked to some Israeli civilians, uh, some Israelis rather, in uh, living in Israel, just to see, you know, what, how things have changed since these attacks. And uh, I've been told that the the Israeli the security uh, the presence the, the uh, especially the police presence has uh, 
is very noticeable. Um, I had uh, one person tell me that uh, she uh, would notice the uh, Israeli uh, bicycle or uh, motorcycle officers following uh, the buses or uh, other trans public transportation, which they didn't before. Uh, so you could definitely see there is, uh, you uh, see the, um, at least the, the police presence, uh, the increased police presence due, due to these attacks. And, uh, and yeah, it's, it's, it's obviously it's, it's affecting daily life uh, in Israel, but uh, of course, you know, you, you just, you gotta keep going. Yeah, and as anyone who's been into Israel knows, it's a security in Israel is quite more noticeable than it is here in the United States or in other Western countries. And um, that's before attacks like this have, have kicked off. So it, it it must be something that's impacting the Israelis. What, one quick uh, note here as well. You know, you had described the copycat type attacks. I also think there's an element here of a, what I uh, call a use it or lose it. I, when, when an attack like this happens, um, others who are planning attacks like this recognize there may be stepped up raids against, uh, you know, anyone suspected of being involved. So they may be, uh, deciding to, to, to carry out these attacks before they can be rounded up as well. We don't know. I mean, I'm just making, but that's an observation I've seen, um, in, other theaters where a senior person who might know about someone or when, you know, someone's captured or there's a certain type of incident, you can often see a, a little flurry of activity like this. So I think it really just remains to be seen whether this is, uh, this will, will be continued or is, will the Israeli security forces are, are able to, um, they're able to, uh, you know, tamp down this problem. So Joe, what's the, um, the, Palestinian terror groups. What is their reaction to this, to these recent attacks uh, on this, and how does this modify or change their strategy, or does their strategy change at all? Right. Uh, so, like I uh, like I mentioned before, there's no real indication that at least that they're involved in the attacks, that they're they're directed uh, at the attacks. Yes, there was a um, there was a statement, like I said earlier, about. Uh, Alexa Martyrs Brigades claiming that uh, the attack, uh, uh, the, the last attack, but um, I don't, um, like I said, I, I don't think that was genuine. Uh, however, um, like Hezbollah, uh, the uh, Hamas does pay a lot of attention to um, the, the mood here. So the strategy has been for Hamas is to involve themselves in the, uh, in, in, with the Isra Israelis and the Arabs, uh, their disputes. So what's happening here now in the last three days, not, not only this is not only for Hamas, this is other Palestinian factions, they are uh, calling, they're inciting violence. They see an opportunity here. That's the point. If they see an opportunity, uh, they, they, they take, they try to take it. And uh, what we've seen, we've seen statements and uh, calls to incite for more violence. And for, and for instance, I'll give you another example here. The, uh, several days ago, last week, actually, uh, Palestinian Islamic Jihad's uh, Secretary General, who lives abroad, I believe he lives in Lebanon, called for uh, more attacks. He made a public statement uh, calling for more attacks. And also, uh, there was a, uh, a statement made by the Palestinian Islamic Jihad's so-called military wing, uh, so it was called Saray al-Quds, saying that the... Um, uh, the military, their militants were mobilized 
they were ready. Basically, they were saying they were, they were ready to, to attack if if given the uh, the signal. Uh, so they they issue these statements to almost cause further unrest. They know the Israeli public's nervous. They know the Israeli authorities are doing everything they can to stop these attacks. And by pub publishing these statements, they are also attempting to incite further violence or inspire, like, even though we don't like that word, but uh, inspire further attacks or more lone wolf attacks. Um, you know, Hamas, like I said, they, uh, they try to boost their image uh, with these statements or Palestinian Islamic Jihad or any other group uh, locally uh, and regionally, they try to boost their image. They, like I said, they call for more attacks. And uh, now during Ramadan, especially, they, uh, they're taking advantage and they're trying to create this atmosphere of conducive to, to more violence. Uh, and they prefer to keep fight the fight in Israel. It's easier for them. I mean, we got to remember a year ago, uh, almost a year ago, they had, there was a pretty big conflict, an 11-day conflict uh, in Gaza. Um, and I'm starting to, unfortunately, I'm starting to see a little of the same signals and signs um, that led to that conflict uh, with these, uh, attacks. And that's what I think the Israeli security services are, uh, very worried about. Yeah. That's, that gets to the, well, before I get to your next question, you know, what you described there, the latching onto the cause, so to speak, is very common in the jihadist world. Uh, we see the Al Qaeda or the Islamic, particularly Al Qaeda does this quite a bit where they attach themselves to a cause, the, a Quran is desecrated in Afghanistan and Al Qaeda and the Taliban make this an issue of theirs, right? It's part of the, the messaging of how the West or, you know, is, uh, is, uh, uh, trying to destroy Islam or disrespect Islam. And I, I think you, you're describing it very nicely, uh, how Palestinian terror groups are able to, you know, it's wise, right? It, it's a wise thing to do from a propaganda standpoint. Latch yourself onto a cause that will help increase your profile and, and make it look like you're the defenders of the aggrieved party. Joe, you, um, you, you did a great job detailing the current situation, uh, as, you know, as the situation as it stands inside of Israel. Uh, looking ahead, pro prognosticating here, I know it's always a difficult thing to do. Um, but what do you expect to happen here? Do you, do you think there's more attacks? Do you think that's down the road? Do you think Israeli security services will be able to tamp this down? The, you know, what do you think is going to happen here? Right. Yeah, it's a difficult question and difficult to to forecast. The government, the Israeli government, certainly expects, I believe, more attacks to occur. Um, last week, uh, Prime Minister Bennett called on civilians who have weapons permits to, to carry and be vigilant. It continues. And now, especially over the last few days, um, after the start of Ramadan, there have been continued clash. There have been clashes at the Damascus Gate in Jerusalem uh, between the Israeli police and uh, Palestinians. And these images of clashes that we that you see, especially especially on through Palestinian social media and, and social networks, only adds more to the fire and uh, the instability. And this is what actually Hamas wants. This is what they thrive on. They love this stuff because they can jump on it and say, 
hey, we're here, we're we're helping out uh, the Palestinian people who are being uh, what they see or what they view as being abused by the Israelis. Um, and unfortunately, this needs to be, this is a difficult situation, especially for the Israeli police uh, in this instance uh, to not, try not to be heavy handed. I'm not saying that they are, but they, but every, they're, all their moves are being recorded, they're being watched, uh, and they will be used in any type of violence that's uh, that's have, has occurred or will occur. And especially what we've seen in the last couple of days uh, over Ramadan <clears throat> at the Damascus Gate will be used uh, as a um, as a way for Hamas to, to jump in, which they actually really haven't uh, as of yet. Yes, they've called for violence. Uh, they tried to uh, incite. Um, uh, more attacks, but I haven't really seen, we haven't seen any um, Hamas militants carrying out uh, attacks, at least known Hamas militants. PIJ, Palestinian Islamic Jihad, uh, on the other hand, has uh, been involved uh, a little more uh, than Hamas. Maybe they're taking the lead, I'm not sure here, but uh, for the moment, uh, it's 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 still a difficult situation. We haven't had any major attacks or high-profile attacks uh, since the last one. Uh, but it's uh, it, it's I, I believe Palestinian groups are trying and they're taking advantage. Actually, uh, it's noteworthy to mention there was a, uh, a counterterrorism raid against uh, three uh, three Palestinian Islamic Jihad members, who, according to Israeli media reports, were on their way to carry out an attack. Uh, the Israeli counterterrorism forces were uh, killed the three uh, the three PIJ Palestinian Islamic Jihad members uh, in the uh, in the raid. So it's um, so it, we we're seeing that militant groups are trying to take advantage of the attacks or the, the atmosphere that we that uh, that the un, that the terrorism or the wave of terrorism that's that's happening right now. So it's it's I, I expect more attacks to happen. Eventually, I think the Israelis will, the Israeli authorities will be able to clamp down on this and keep the um, the level down compared to compared to what it is now. But it's definitely a dis- difficult task. And Ramadan, Passover, and Easter all coinciding uh, over the next few weeks is going to make that very difficult. You had mentioned you had briefly discussed the the eleven day war. Uh, do you think you know? And you had said there's some indications that we're seeing a, you know, of the the precursors to that. Do you think that this is uh, is it likely a possibility? How would you rate it on you know on a scale of one to ten? Do you think that this can lead to that type of conflict where the Israelis and, and the Palestinians are in a state of open war, or do you think this is something that probably could be tamped down? Right, I'm seeing. It, it's not that it's not the terror attacks, the wave of terrorism that has me so much worried that Gaza and Israel are going to go into conflict again, like they did last year. It's the clashes at Damascus Gate, and um, possibly, and hopefully not though, uh, that, could, that it could spill over, especially into Al Aqsa Mosque. For and why I'm saying that because last year. Hamas used the clashes uh, at Damascus Gate and at Al-Aqsa Mosque between Palestinians and Israel as a um, as an excuse, as I see it, as an excuse to launch attack, uh, launch attack against Israel. Uh, what they did, what they said, was that they were defending the rights of Palestinian people 
Therefore, since uh, they wanted to be viewed as the defenders of the Palestinian people, so they started launching rockets at actually at Jerusalem. That was their first uh, uh, first attack. I'm starting to see the same images uh, of, of police of Israeli police and Palestinians clashing uh, the last couple of days that I did last year. The very similar, and um. My concern there, like I said before, is that it'll continue and then it'll give Hamas what they need to launch uh, to launch an attack. Uh, but the thing here is last year's uh, last year's conflict, Israel degraded Hamas's capabilities, military capabilities uh, significantly. Whether they want to inflict or start another attack, start another conflict, I don't know. However, there are a little, there's still, there's, there's a little bit of uh, signaling from the groups with statements that it's building up. Uh, you see, start seeing threats about, uh, about Jews praying at the, uh, at Al-Aqsa Mosque, which they have, they have threatened before, but the rhetoric is more, more violent. I feel it's, it's a little different than the usual statements that we see. And I, I, I'm just seeing, like I said, the same images and fighting that that was one of the causes that led up to last year's conflict. So I'm hoping the Israeli police uh, notice this and understand that uh, this can definitely uh, start a, another conflict if they aren't careful. Yeah, it's, it's, you're, you're seeing the precursors, the messaging, things, the the that type of. Those are the warning signs, not necessarily in any type of military activity, so to speak. Right. There hasn't been another thing I think it's noteworthy is a last year there was statements made by uh, Hamas's you can call him, but they referred to him as the 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 military wing's commander, um, Muhammad Daif. He hadn't spoken or he hadn't published a statements in years. And last year he started. He started uh, uh, publishing statements threatening uh, Israel that something would happen, that there would be a conflict if uh, clashes continued. We have not seen that yet. I think that's important to note. Uh, we've What we've mostly seen is just actually from Palestinian Islamic Jihad, uh, like I mentioned earlier, about uh, mobilizing their fighters. But there has not been explicit publications or statements uh, saying there will be uh, rockets, for example, from Gaza. Uh, uh, there won't be rockets launched from Gaza. We haven't seen that yet. However, I'm seeing the build up to that. And that's where my concern is. And um, is there a Hezbollah or Iran connection to this wave of violence or um, to this uh, sort of this messaging campaign that you're 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 starting to detect. Uh, what's the you know obviously has both Hezbollah and Iran will profit from any type of uh, discord between the Israelis and the Palestinians and they'll capitalize on this. So do you see any evidence that they're they're stoking the fire here or are they just sitting on the sidelines? Right for for now I don't I only see statements only from Hezbollah at least. Inciting violence and and congratulating uh, the attack the attackers, but the interesting thing is that I didn't mention at least with the second attack with uh, the one that uh, involved the, the members of 
of ISIS or the ones that pledged uh, allegiance to ISIS, uh, all the Palestinian factions, including Hezbollah, congratulated the attackers and the attack uh, after knowing, while knowing that they were members of ISIS, which is very strange uh, because you don't you don't you don't see that. We know Hezbollah what what they were doing in Syria. They were fighting ISIS. So it, it, it just seemed very strange to me that Hezbollah and Palestinian, the Palestinian, many of the Palestinian factions, not just a couple, almost a dozen of them, published congratulatory, congratulatory messages uh, after the ISIS attack. Uh, it's it was a little a little strange, and I didn't see. Uh, I was a little surprised. I didn't see more about that um, in the media, where Palestinian organizations and Hezbollah were congratulating, essentially, they were congratulating ISIS. Uh, for the attack, not even in the Israeli media, there was, you know, there was a little, a little bit, but it was just not. It was, it was. I, they, they didn't really take advantage of, of, of the, um, the messaging. Why they didn't really explore why is Hezbollah and these other past and other past and Palestinian groups rather congratulating ISIS for their attack? It does. It does. Even though they were careful. So the statements were carefully uh, worded. They didn't mention we congratulate ISIS for the attack, but they they knew they were members of ISIS. So why are they congratulating the attack? And that's because at least what it seems is that uh, ISIS and Hezbollah and the Palestinian militant organizations have at least something in common, and that's where and that's killing Israelis, and, and that's that's what I got from it. Uh, I think the the last attack, the March 29th attack, Palestinian militant organizations were a little more cautious. They want, I think they I felt that they were a little more cautious uh, before publishing statements. I feel that they 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 waited a little longer than the previous attacks to publish something statements to congrat, congratulating the attacks. Maybe they realized they they had made a mistake there, uh, but I still think it was very interesting to see. These organizations, especially Hezbollah, congratulating the attacks, even though they were they knew it was perpetrated by ISIS. Thank you, Joe. And Joe, one last question before you leave. Uh, we're going to switch gears just a little bit. Uh, late last May, you uh, you broke the news that an American um, was killed while uh, fighting alongside the fighting for Hamas. That was a very nice scoop by you, by the way. I remember working with working you through that one. Um, tell us a, just a little bit of quick about that story, a little bit about the background and, and what that all meant. Um, I just, you know, and uh, just a little aside, uh, after Joe published that shortly, I think it was like ABC News tried to take credit for it. And uh, we, we we fought in the background and made sure Joe got appropriate credit. That happens to us. You, you Sometimes you, you don't see the things that go on behind the scenes. I mean, we're always careful to quote our source, cite our sources, and we expect the same from others. And uh, so it was a really nice win for you, Joe. And uh, just want to share a little bit about that story. It was That one still sticks in my mind almost a year later. Right. Yeah, it was it was a little it, it was interesting because yeah he he was uh, he was he was an American citizen. Basically, what happened? Um, an American citizen was living in in Gaza, and his father he was he was living there with his father. They were actually both engineers working for Hamas's self-described military wing, Al Qassam Brigades. And uh, during the um, during during the, the the conflict, they were 
they were targeted and by the Israeli, uh, by the IDF rather, and they were killed. Um, a few a few days later, I believe it was like a day or two later, the family was mentioning that uh, talking about the the um, the dead, the, the father and the son that had died, and there was uh, some indication there that they were. Uh, either both of them were American or one of them was an American. So I looked further into it and was able to get solid information that uh, the son was a, was was an American uh, fighting for Hamas. And we published it on a uh, long war journal. And it was, it was, it was great. And, you know, as far as, uh, as far as the, the, the information that, that we published there and, uh, and it's, I, I can't recall at least right now of, uh, of an, any other Hamas members that were uh, American citizens, at least, uh, that have been killed uh, during uh, in, in conflict with Israel. So it was, it was a very, very interesting story. And, uh, and yeah, so it uh, did pretty well, I think. You worked hard chasing that thing down. I mean, what, I think we spent, how many days was it before we actually published it? Yeah. Published on that? It, was, <laughs> it was a really, um, boy, I just remember having those. I, so, you know, May 31st, right? Afghanistan has literally exploded. The Taliban's taking over districts. This was at the heat of it. And I'm working 20 something hour days at this point. And I get a phone call from Joe. Bill, you, I, you were so apologetic. And I'm like, Joe, I'm doing my job. My job is here to help you. And, um, you know, we remember just talking. You know, it was actually, it's funny now that I think back on it, Joe, it was a nice little distraction from the madness that was Afghanistan that, that consumed my spring, summer, and fall of last year. And, um, but, and it was just so nice to see you. Work hard to to get that to the bottom. That's where to confirm the work with all your sources on you know both sides of the Atlantic to try to make that happen. And you know we don't get tons of scoops at, at the Long War Journal. Probably more before when it was things like drone strikes in Pakistan or Yemen, um, and less so these days when it's uh, when the with the U.S. a, a little bit uh, more disengaged from these wars. So it was it was a really nice thing to see. And I'm very, very proud of that reporting for me, Joe. I just, you know, thank you for that. Oh, no, I, I appreciate it. Yeah, it was, uh, it was an intense few days. You want, you want to, you, know, you want to make sure you have, you have the right information. And something like this, it's, it's a pretty big deal. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's a, it's a U.S. American citizen. Um, it's an American citizen, rather, uh, fighting for a fighting foreign for... terrorist organization. Exactly. You want to <laughs> make sure you dot your eyes and cross your T's on that one. That's and you did exactly, exactly. So you want to just double check with the your sources, and that's what I did. And thankfully, we were able to get that out uh, first, and we were to get every we had everything verified. And it worked out. It was definitely a, one of my proudest moments as far as you know, working with uh, Long Word uh, with Long Word Journal. So I'm very still so happy about it. I have the uh, I have the article on my on the wall in my office. So uh, it's a uh, it's. It's it's uh, I look at it uh, almost every day and just, you know I'm just happy about it. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 tough in this business to call it a business, whatever this field to to do things like that. And you you are proud of your work. I could think back on multiple instances. And the weird thing is, is you almost want to get a shower after it's all done, right? You're like you're dealing with terrorists and you got to scoop and 
But I always liken our, our work to sort of being like a homicide detective. Uh, you're, you're investigating, you're getting to the bottom of things, motivations, who did what, and you're dealing with dirty, disgusting, horrific people who are often monsters. Um, but you do get some kind of bizarre satisfaction in, in when you get it right and you get, when you, when you get the bottom of something. So I don't know if that's the best analogy, but it's the one that works in my head when people ask me, what do you do? And what is, what is it like? You know, that's the best way I could, best way I could describe it. Right. Right. No, I, I completely agree. We, if the, especially that the, the war last year, there was a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of civilian deaths, at least on, you know, on both sides, of course. And, uh, it, it's tough. You see a lot of those images of, of war and death. It's, 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 yeah. Sometimes it takes, you know, it takes a lot of out of you. And it's something I've had to learn to deal with, uh, especially um, over the last few years working with the uh, Bring Along with Journal and, and FDD. So it's, uh, but it's, it's been, it's a pleasure as far as, because I think it's really important to get this type of information out, especially to a Western audience. And that's why I, that's why I got into all of this. I, I saw that there was like a disconnect of, of good information, detailed information uh, that I didn't see in the news that, that should get to a Western audience, um, especially at least in, with me, with the Palestinian conflict, Israeli Palestinian conflict. Uh, and at, um, so that, that motivated me to get into this type of business and learn about the groups, all the militant groups and how it worked, uh, how they worked and, and their organizations. Uh, so yeah, it's, um, it's been a pleasure so far, but uh, yeah, it's at the points it is, it is difficult. It's been great working with you, Joe and Joe, you just literally just described why I got into this almost two decades ago, right? Just looking at the reporting and seeing the holes and the misanalysis and the, the, the gaps, the lack of understanding of groups and their motivations. It's the same. Ex I mean, you perfectly and succinctly described why I got into this business. And, um, it's you know, again, it's, it's been great working with you and I look forward to you working with you for years to come. Joe, thank you for joining us on Generation Jihad and everyone you could read Joe's work at, at Long War Journal, just longwarjournal.org. Um, and Joe, we'll have you back on the podcast. I appreciate it, Bill. Thank you for having me. Oh, no, Joe, a uh, pleasure is all mine. Thank you very much. And uh, thanks again, everyone, for joining us for today's episode of Generation Jihad. Just a reminder, you could find us on Apple, YouTube, Spotify, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Make sure you subscribe and leave us a review, preferably a positive one. Thanks again, and we'll see you all again soon.